change that? <laughs> All right. Ah, the educated ministry, right? <laughs> Let's jump right into the middle of an amazing soap opera of Greek gods. You know, their tales outdo the Game of Thrones with powerful, lascivious, violent, and conniving characters. They can be useful commentators of life. For example, when I get bored or discouraged, or depressed, and life feels monotonous, I think of Sisyphus. You know the story, no doubt. Sisyphus is founder and king of Corinth and Greece, visible from the city of Corinth, and the surrounding countryside is a large rock outcropping, like a mesa. Knowing this land feature, is useful for understanding the Greek imagination and Sisyphus. So King Sisyphus is infamous for his general trickery and wicked intelligence. His greatest feat is to cheat death and Hades himself, not once, but twice. Thus living up to Homer's description of him as the most cunning of men. So when Sisyphus dies, for the third and last time, there is no escape for him. Zeus himself now intervenes, and the king of God wants to make sure humans will not be encouraged by the feats of the trickster, Sisyphus. Zeus ensures Sisyphus' fate is eternal and tedious. So we get eyewitness details of Zeus's punishment of Sisyphus in Homer's Odyssey. The story's hero, Odysseus, descends into Hades and coming across many a fallen hero, sees Sisyphus. Then I witnessed the torture of Sisyphus as he wrestled with a huge rock with both hands. Bracing himself and thrusting his hands and feet, he pushed the boulder uphill to the top. But every time, as he was about to send it toppling over the crest, its sheer weight turned it back, and once again, towards the plain, the pitiless rock rolled down. So once more, he had to wrestle with the thing and push it up, while the sweat poured from his limbs and the dust rose high above his head. So I imagine Sisyphus, maybe a little exaggerated, but I do, I imagine him pushing up his oversized rock, a plateau in hell that bears this uncanny resemblance to the outcropping near Corinth. And when my energies are lagging, or I'm uninspired with a hard or simply monotonous chore, I've pictured Sisyphus. Sometimes cooking, and then cleaning up afterwards seems like as meaningless as pushing a rock up a hill. I do all this work, then it's gone in a few minutes. Three times a day, it rolls back down. Making a bed, doing laundry, answering email. 
reading the news. You know, our lives are filled with repetitive actions. Pleasures even begin to feel like burdens. This church is built upon repetition because building and keeping a community healthy means locking and unlocking the church, watering plants, rehearsing, attending meetings, writing reports, teaching children, greeting newcomers. We're glad to have you newcomers. Even making a dish to share. It's going to get eaten. Time out for a public service announcement. Feeling like life resembles Sisyphus hell might be an indication of depression. Do not hesitate to talk to a friend or me or a professional to get another perspective. Depression is not a shameful state, nor is it to be taken lightly. Being depressed does not mean you're crazy, doomed, or bad in any way. The care team and I keep a, a list of vetted counselors. Hope's income interim, incoming interim Greg Stewart will have this list. And we have trained counselors in our congregation willing to see you once for free just to get you off down the right path. Depression runs deep in my own family, and I'm careful to corral it from all sides. This announcement has been brought to you by someone who loves you deeply. Back to Sisyphus. When something feels like a tedious activity and not depression, it might help to look more closely at your intentions, your motivations. When we become curious about why are we doing something, we can begin to reconsider the effort it takes. So wise or right effort is the sixth step along the eightfold path, along with the next two, wise mindfulness and wise concentration. These last three all together are considered keys to any healthy spiritual practice. Why do you do what you're doing? Why do you come to church, pray, meditate, read poems daily, be in a small group discussion like InReach, paint, jog, whatever your spiritual practice may be, and we all need one, there are ways to think about the effort you put into it. Do you do it because it's the right thing to do? Do you give up too easily because some immediate magic isn't happening? You know, because we're all human, our discipline and willingness to repeat something, to regularly pursue and practice spiritual skills, certainly wilts from time to time. This is normal. So the Buddhist teachings about wise effort are very simple. Traditionally, there are four kinds of effort. Stop doing what doesn't help. Stay stopped. Start doing what helps. Don't stop. I need instructions this simple. Religious work doesn't have to be convoluted and complex. Be wary when they are. So let's unpack these four very obvious instructions. 
First, our efforts to cope with unskillful things. It is wise effort to abandon these unskillful things. For example, letting go of a frequent angry response to everything, or fear, or hatred, or control. In Buddhist terms, this doesn't mean judging yourself as bad, nor does it mean working so hard to resist it that you actually feed it with your energy. Rather, our task is not to be so attached to these unhelpful ways we get stuck. Desire run amok can be at the source. We create problems when we desire, then insist upon comfort and respect and love and wealth or even ease. When I look at you all here in the sanctuary, I look out and see us all as desire beings. We evolved into this human form. You know, from the beginning, our ancestors, way back as little amoeba, moved forward toward food and pleasure and then backed away from what is painful. And we are wired for desire. As the poet Alice Luderman writes, trying to surrender to desire is like hiding the chocolate chip cookies from yourself because you're on a diet. Meanwhile, only you in the entire galaxy knows where those chocolate chip cookies are hidden. Some people mistakenly think a spiritual, skillful spiritual life is one free of desire. Desire is normal, necessary. The question becomes, how do you work with it skillfully? So this is the issue being addressed in wise effort. Just being led by our desires, unskillful. Desire is part of us. Freedom and love require that you understand desire and see that you're free to choose which desires you follow. I promised to myself that I'd tie this sermon into the monthly theme for July, Freedom and Responsibility. And desire and learning to respond wisely are where wise effort intersects with freedom and responsibility. When we are captive to our desires, they become our prisons. We have lost free choice, free will even. Hence, that second part of wise effort involves maintaining the absence of our unskillful habits, staying stopped. Mark Twain was a devoted cigar smoker, and he reportedly said, giving up smoking is the easiest thing in the world. I know, because I've done it a thousand times. Indeed, I've given up habits a thousand times. As anyone who knows who has worked to change or reframe a habit, it requires constant vigilance. The 12-step slogan, one day at a time, acknowledges this constancy of effort. Sometimes a day is too long 
Anyone struggling with addiction knows it can take second-by-second dedicated effort to stay stopped. So then the other two traditional definitions of wise effort, start doing what helps, don't stop. Again, freedom is at the heart of these two positive reframings. There's a um, collection of sayings reputed to be the Buddha's, the Dhammapada, and he says about this positive way of right effort, one person on the battlefield conquers an army of a thousand persons. Another conquers himself, and that is greater. Conquer yourself and not others. Discipline yourself, and thereupon learn freedom. As one of my teachers, you heard his writing earlier, Jack Cornfield. He writes, it's the effort of learning how to cultivate or generate that which is skillful, which means, skillful means awareness and loving kindness, caring for the world around you, living more in the present, the effort to abandon habits, the fear of things that we get caught in that creates suffering and that keep us in the muck and the effort to sustain them. This is wonderful because it's a teaching that we can apply to every part of our daily life. It's small habits, it's all the little pieces. Our life is made up of little activities, little habits, little ways, and we can begin to work with the way we drive our car the way we relate to people at work, the way we eat, the way we choose to eat, and how we set about eating to make these things more conscious, to make our approach to these bear the fruit of greater awareness, greater kindness. Right effort isn't so much the effort to make the world a different place as it is an effort to understand the nature of the world, of our body, our mind, this life, to pay attention. If the word effort sounds too much like work, if effort makes your naturally rebellious inner voice revolt against being told what to do, hence you want to do the opposite, if effort makes you tired, Consider the term diligence rather than effort. Diligence sounds more spacious to me. It leaves room for mistakes and backsliding. The term diligence helps with that either-or binary thinking and trap of perfectionism. I'm diligent about flossing my teeth, but every once in a while, I'm too tired Oh, we've run out of floss. Yet I'm still diligent about caring for my teeth. I buy the floss the next day, or I root around in an old drawer with travel kits and find some tail end from something. So diligence is about long-term commitment. I can make short-term wise efforts like Mark Twain giving up a vice a thousand times. 
For long term, I must be diligent. For spiritual growth, we need regular practice, diligent practice. It's so tempting to practice very intensely for a few weeks, and then after that, abandon the practice. But the magic is in the regular practice. Not intensive, but continuously will bring good results. Wise diligence, wise effort. I had a quote show up in my email box from an article. Uh, the article's name was Rules for a Long-Term Relationship. And it applies exactly to this paradox of maintaining diligence, making an effort but not too much, a tender and forgiving practice. The quote goes, maybe the first rule we should begin with if we want meditation or any practice to be in our life for a long time is don't make a rigid structure and then chastise ourselves when we don't live up to it. Better to keep a limber mind and develop a tenderness toward existence. Do whatever works until it no longer works. Poor Sisyphus. Diligence and effort didn't work. But what if it had? What if we imagine after years of rolling the boulder up the slope, one day he succeeds. On that day, Sisyphus manages to stabilize the rock at the top of the mountain, and he realizes to his great surprise that this time the rock is not rolling back down. No doubt he's surprised at first, but then becomes jubilant. He'd finally made it. Imagine his joy, elation, sense of freedom. Very tired, but excited. Maybe he lies down next to the rock, happy, happy that his unceasing toil has ended. He sleeps, of course, for many hours. And then, after waking up, he looks triumphantly at the rock and the slope of the mountainside. And after having rested some more, he looks around for the first time at the beautiful view from the top of the mountain. He savors this new experience, enjoying the thought that he has finally conquered not only the stone, but also the gods. He's finally managed to lift the curse. He relaxes some more, but oddly, he finds himself starting to feel a bit of unease. With passage of time, he's getting restless. Slowly, he begins to understand that the curse the gods have placed on him is, in fact, much subtler and more terrible than he had ever imagined. In fact, he hasn't managed to break the curse at all, but only make his position work worse. Remember, we're creatures of desire. We value and need effort. Sisyphus stands up, takes a deep breath, goes over to the stone, and pushes it off the mountain. He watches it roll down, walking down slowly after it, and then starts pushing it uphill again. 
My revised ending isn't a moral of a prisoner not coping with freedom and wanting to be put back in jail. It's an example of why the Buddhist teachings ask us to consider not being so attached to our goals and outcomes. Are expecting an outcome to look a certain way, expecting our efforts to come in fruition a certain way, is the trickiest part of wise effort. I want my efforts and diligence to pay off, don't you? This is the paradox of life and effort. Doing the work and letting go of results. Stop doing what doesn't help. Stay stopped. Start doing what helps. Don't stop. May it be so.